Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host. Today on the podcast, I'm going to talk about the Phillips Curve, which supposedly describes an inverse relationship between inflation and unemployment. Why do I say supposedly? Listen further and find out. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode of Sense and Sensibility is sponsored by Simplify ETFs. Simplify is a manager of alternative ETFs solving today's most pressing portfolio challenges. This includes income solutions like SVOL, yield curve plays like TUA, and 6040 diversifiers such as CTA. If you are an individual investor or RIA, you will likely find that something they've done addresses a particular problem you have that you didn't know was solvable. Check out their website at simplify.us. That's simplify.us. And you can find their entire lineup of ETFs at simplify.us slash ETFs. So earlier this month, Fed Governor Waller gave a speech entitled The Unstable Phillips Curve. It's a part and parcel of a problem that economics has been wrestling with for decades now, really, and, and is occasionally lamented by some academic in some academic setting talking about how the Phillips curve just isn't working uh, over some period of time. As economists understand and describe the Phillips curve, it uh, that the Phillips curve implies that when unemployment is high, inflation is low. And when unemployment is low, inflation is high. And that idea is, is extremely important, and specifically that, that formulation of the idea is extremely important to the practice of central banking as it's done today. The Fed's so-called dual mandate uh, says that the Fed is supposed to minimize unemployment, maximize employment, uh, and also minimize inflation. And um, the tension of this of this trade-off is what animates 90% of the discussion about the Fed today, what the Fed's going to do. You know, everything, when you hear someone talking about the Fed, they'll say something like, I don't think the Fed is willing to cause the, un the unemployment necessary to get disinflation or you know, if the Fed keeps tightening to kill inflation, they'll cause a recession and people will lose jobs. Um, you know, and that and that sort of thing. You know, uh, once the once uh, the unemployment rate rises a certain amount, then the Fed's going to have to ease to to uh, to bring that up, even though that will you know cause more inflation or whatever. So that te that tension, that trade off, um, is is the basis of the discussion. And the, at the heart of those statements is the notion. Of, of the curve describing that trade-off, which is dubbed the, the Phillips curve. Like so much else in the world today, like so many of the problems that we have, this one is a problem of our own making. Uh, specifically, it, this is a problem, the making of which belongs uh, to economists. Now, to understand what I mean by that uh, and to understand why this sticks in my craw, um, let's go back to the dawn of the Phillips curve. So the, the, the Phillips curve comes from a paper uh, written decades ago by William Phillips, thus Phillips curve. Now, the title of the original paper was 
and this is this is important. Listen carefully. The relationship between unemployment and the rate of change of money wage rates in the United Kingdom, 1861 to 18 to 1957. Now, I'm going to say that again. The relation between unemployment and the rate of change of money wage rates. And you notice there's nothing in there about consumer inflation. Um, and in fact, that that statement, the, the original and the original Phillips curve as Phillips created it, is really nothing more profound than saying that labor is a market like anything else. And when demand for labor is high, that is, unemployment is low, then its price, that is, wages, is high. When demand for the labor is high, then the price is high. And when demand for labor is low, then the price is low. Demand for labor being low is reflected in, in higher unemployment. And that's, that's really all it's saying. And it shouldn't be shocking, um, except you know, keeping in mind when Phillips was writing and economics was, was less advanced. And so you know, we didn't necessarily know at that time, we didn't have proof that labor acted like many other product markets, that if you want more of something, you have to pay more of it, uh, more for it. Um, and Phillips proved that it worked that way by examining 100 years of data on unemployment and wage rates in the United Kingdom. And by the way, it's still true. <laughs> it's still true. If you run a regression between the unemployment rate in the United States uh, and wages using the Atlanta, the, the Atlanta Fed's wage growth tracker, which is the best sort of measure of, of wages, the most stable measure of wages, uh, based on data in the two decades between 1997 to 2017, then you get a beautiful curve, a beautiful curve showing that those things are about 95% correlated, a 0.91 R squared, okay? And, and that's, for an economic relationship, that's just a crazy high correlation. And, and it makes perfect sense. But here's the amazing part. If you take that curve, define on that data set those 20 years, and then you apply it to today, and and remember, we've had, since 2017, we've had an intervening pandemic, we've had inflation, we've had crazy monetary policy, we've had crazy fiscal policy, we've had, you know, folks paid to, to stay at home and not work, we've had, um, you know, folks prohibited from going out of their houses, and so on and so forth, and we've been readjusting ever since. So, so if you if you take that curve and apply it to today with all that intervening stuff that's happened, that curve would predict that wages today should be rising at about six point two percent given given the uh, the unemployment rate. The latest Atlanta Fed wage growth tracker is six point four percent. That's amazing out of sample performance. Okay, so, you know, during that period, 97 to 2017, we really didn't have very many data points in, you know, in the high wages, low unemployment part of the curve. A few, but not very many. And the fact that we, we can take that curve and, and apply it to, to out of sample and have such a beautiful fit tells you that, hey, it works, and the relationship between wages and unemployment 
is a strong one, and it's still a strong one. Um, in fact, there's a uh, there's I, I've I've put a link in the show notes uh, to a chart showing the original regression that that 2000, uh, 97 to two thousand seventeen one. Um, that's in green points on the the chart, um, and then I've I've added in blue uh, points everything since then. And uh, and and uh, and the red is kind of the latest point, and you can sort of see that during the pandemic, obviously things didn't fit tightly to the relationship because stuff was moving around crazy. But it it actually it did a pretty decent job, even so. Anyhow, worth a look if you want to see what I'm cooking. So back to so that's where the Phillips curve comes from. That's what the Phillips curve is. That's what the Phillips curve means. That's not the way. Most economists mean it. Economists mean it today when they use the term Phillips curve. So why all the talk about the Phillips curve being broken? Well, somewhere along the way, economists decided that it would be more useful and just like really cool if in, if the curve related unemployment and price inflation instead of wages. Because, you know, central banks and economists, they don't really have, you know, it's not really their job to restrain inflation. They're supposed to restrain uh, to restrain wages. They're supposed to restrain inflation. And so wouldn't it be better if the Phillips curve related those two things? And of course, inflation and wages are closely related. So obviously it's, it's the same. So we can just substitute in consumer inflation in place of wages and we'll still call it the Phillips curve poor Phillips rolling over in his grave. Uh, but we're going to still call it the Phillips curve. And, um, and, and then we'll go from there. And then there've been many, you know, when it turns out that doesn't really work, there've been other, uh, uh, efforts to rehabilitate the idea, the inflation, uh, with the expectations augmented inflation, uh, Philip, <laughs> inflation expectations augmented Phillips curve and, and so on. So, um, but, but it, 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 this comes down to somewhere along the line, economists deciding that because prices and wages are kind of the same, then obviously the same thing will apply, except it's not the same. Those two things are not the same, not at all. And anyone who's had an actual job, as opposed to being a PhD economist sitting in an ivory tower somewhere, anyone who's had, had an actual job and had to you know, pay actual household expenses with the wages you earn, is well aware that wages and inflation are not necessarily really closely related. Sometimes they are. Um, there's no, even from the theory side, there's really no particular reason that wages and price inflation should be tightly related. Labor is just one input into production costs, right? So if you're making a widget, um, you need labor, and that's going to be part of your production cost. But so is all the material costs of the widget, and the cost of rent, you know, for your plant, um, and the cost of advertising, and lots of other things, right? So, um, so when you end up with the actual production costs, it in, it it will be related to wages. If you suddenly have to pay a lot of wages, that's going to make your production costs go up. But it's not the only thing that matters, and so you wouldn't expect it to be super tightly related, just vaguely related. Um, and so 
it's overall production costs and not just wages that are what ultimately determines the supply curve and ultimately is part of what gets reflected in prices. And by the way, that's just the supply curve. There's also the demand curve part of things as well, right? So, you know, the connection between wages, which is just part of production costs, and prices, which is the outcome of supply and demand in particular product markets um, where supply includes the cost of production, one item of which is wages, that's how closely how closely related it is. And, and as the way I just said it makes it sound like it's not terribly closely related. And in fact, it's not. If you go and you look at a, a, a chart of wages and a chart of inflation, they're really not super well correlated, except in the big sense that if you have really high inflation, then wages will have to eventually go up there. And if you have really low inflation or deflation, then eventually wages have to go down close to zero or negative and, um, in terms of rate of change. So, so in, in the big changes, they're going to be somewhat related, but um, there's a whole bunch of noise in between. And that noise ruins what economists would like to use this for, which is to say that if I just cause enough unemployment, inflation will come down. And so it doesn't, it doesn't really work that way. So the Phillips curve, the way it is being used, is broken. But it's the part relating wages to prices that's broken. And frankly, that was never as close of a relationship as economists wanted it to be. And as you can tell, this is a bee in my bonnet. I think it is very sad that William Phillips's name is associated with what has become very sloppy economics. His curve doesn't need any rehabilitation. It works. It still works today. It's a basic, basic idea, and it doesn't it doesn't just work in wages. It works in all kinds of other places. If you make something more scarce, its price goes up. <laughs> and if you make it more less scarce, its price goes down. That's super obvious in every market. And Phillips's original observation is at some level super obvious. It's just his name and that idea is being was hijacked and is being abused and misused. Again, like so many things, our problems are, are of our own making in economics as in many other ways. So if you want to predict wages in your area, you need to look at unemployment lines. But if you want to predict inflation, if you want to predict prices in your area, you're going to need to look further. Well, that's all for today's podcast. Uh, please like, subscribe, and refer others. Forward this podcast to your, your friendly neighborhood economist. <laughs> you can contact me at inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com. You can subscribe to the blog uh, where a, a version of this uh, uh, podcast appeared in, in printed form as far back as 2017 at inflationguy.blog. Follow me on Twitter at inflation underscore guy or visit in, uh, Enduring Investments if you have an inflation challenge. Most importantly, defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy. <laughs>